morning, everyone. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before your holy presence, Lord, and we thank you um, for bringing us here to continue our study on the uh, subject of the law of God. And we pray that you give us light, that you open our understandings to uh, a better comprehension of this uh, important matter. And we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, we are on the last paragraph in the uh, chapter 19 in the confession regarding the law of God. And um, this, uh, this paragraph has to do with whether the law and the gospel are in opposition to each other or if they are in harmony to each other. So that's basically the question that we are going to try to answer this morning. Are the law and the gospel or law and grace, are they in opposition or in harmony? So the uh, short answer to that is that regarding to our justification, law and grace present two antithetical or contrary opposed means of obtaining eternal life. With respect to the uses of the law in the life of the Christian, they are in harmony with the grace of the gospel which confirms the law. Mm. So that's our um, short answer. And uh, as I said last week, that uh, the mind... Uh, tends to work like a pendulum and it goes to one extreme to the other and uh, we mentioned last week that there has been two extremes uh, schools of thought regarding the law of God one is legalism the other is antinomianism uh, the legalist uh, mixes together the law and the gospel and they say uh, that Obeying the law is necessary for justification. Then there are the others, the antinomian, who um, put the, uh, uh, the law and the gospel or law and grace in complete opposition to each other, complete um, uh, enmity to each other uh, in every aspect. So the first group, you know, the uh, legalists are, are those who try to add a little bit of human righteousness to justification. My effort, God's, God did his part, now I have to do my part, and I have you know these things to do to obtain justification and the blessings that comes from justification. In the history of the church, probably the most extreme form of legalism was Pelagianism, because Pelagius, Pelagius he thought that... Um, the fall did not affect the whole human race, but only Adam. And the human beings are just like Adam was before the fall. And therefore, uh, it is possible for a human being to fully obey uh, God and that uh, grace. The only thing that, God, the, that grace does, according to him, what is that uh, grace facilitates goodness. And grace is only illumination and instruction, but man intrinsically, he is good and he can do the will of God. And um, therefore, it is possible to be saved 
by works. That's uh, what Pelagius thought. And of course, um, his, uh, his teachings were declared uh, heresy in the Council of Orange, in the Council of, uh, I think, the, the Nicene Council, and also even in the Council of Trent, in the Catholic Council of Trent. Um, his teachings were declared to be a heresy because basically is salvation by works. <coughs> the other uh, position, antinomianism, has always been present in the church. And we can see how the apostles, in their, in their letters, they wrote against antinomianism. They, they not only wrote against legalism, when they had uh, Judaizers coming into the churches and teaching that uh, the believers to get circumcised and to obey the law of Moses, but also they taught against antinomianism because it was also a problem in the early church, we read in Romans 6.15, the Apostle Paul says, What then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace. God forbid. Because there were those saying, you know, all you have to do is believe. Grace. And that's it. And then, you know, if you try to obey God, then you are trying to uh, be saved by your own efforts. So he says, no. God forbid. We have to continue. We have to obey God. Then in 1 John, the Apostle John writes, saying, He that said, I know him, and keeps not his commandments, he's a liar, and the truth is not in him. And he wrote many things like that. If you say, God is light, and if you say that you, are, you, you belong to God, then you should walk in the light. Mm -hmm. Right? Because That's right. a lot of people saying, <clears throat> all you have to do is believe. Then James, of course, James in uh, the second chapter of his letter, verses 17 to 20, he writes, Even so faith, if he has not works, is dead, being alone. Yes, a man may say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God? You will. The devils also believe and tremble. But will you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? See, there were those in the church saying, all you have to do is have faith. That's all that is required. And James says, well, even the demons have faith. They believe and tremble, and they are not saved. <coughs> so on this last uh, session in chapter 19, we are going to see then uh, paragraph 7. Paragraph 7 that offers a balanced presentation of the relationship between law and grace. So, um, chapter 19, paragraph 7 says, Neither are the aforementioned uses of the law contrary to the grace of the gospel, but do sweetly comply with it. The Spirit of Christ subduing and enabling the will of man to do that freely and cheerfully, which the will of God revealed in the law requires to be done. So, they start by uh, making a reference to the previous paragraph. And they say, they mention the aforementioned uses of the law, which we saw last week, the uses of the law. Uh, we saw last week that uh, the law serves for the Christian as a rule of life, as a rule of life 
informing them of the will of God, says paragraph 6. In their duty, it directs and binds them to walk accordingly, discovering also the sinful pollution of their natures. So, basically they said the law has good uses for the Christian. It is a rule of life. How are you going to live your life as a Christian? Now you are a new creature. What are you supposed to do? Well, you have the law, the moral law of God, as a rule for your life. Then they say it also uh, shows you your sin, discovers the sinful pollutions of your nature, tells you when you have done something that is wrong. And then they say, it is likewise of use to the regenerate to restrain their corruptions in that it forbids sin. It is a restrainer of evil, a restrainer of evil. Those are the good, lawful, rightful uses of the moral law of God in the gospel. They say here, the authors of the confession, those uses of the law are in harmony with the gospel. They are not contrary to the gospel. They are not in opposition to the gospel. They are, um, <clears throat> what's the word that they use? They say do, they do sweetly comply with it, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then we said also last week that there is one use of the law that is not for the Christian. And it is the law as a covenant of works. Right? The law as a covenant of works that promises salvation by obedience. Well, that use of the law is in opposition to grace, in opposition to the gospel. And the Apostle Paul speaks about this in his letter to Timothy. Uh, his first letter, he says, or he writes, Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly, for sinners, for unholy and profane and for mur murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for murderers, etc., for all sinners. He says the law is not made for the righteous man. What is he talking about? He's talking about the law as a covenant of works. It's not made for the righteous man. It's made for the sinner to show him his sin, to show him that he is doing things that are contrary to the law of God. For what purpose? To bring them to repentance, to bring them to repentance. <clears throat> but as a covenant of works, then, the law is not made for the righteous. It is not made for the believer. It is made for the sinner. It passes sentence of death on their sins and brings them to repentance and grace. So, <clears throat> when it comes to seeking justification and seeking eternal life, there is this radical and in a fundamental antithesis between law and grace when it comes to justification. They are opposed to each other. They are like the opposite poles of a magnet. You know, you take a magnet or two magnets and you try to join the two opposite poles, you know, the positive and the negative, and they, they are going to reject each other. And that's the law as a covenant of works and, and justification are like that. They, are, they reject each other. Now, they have the same goal, of course, to justify. But the means of justification are different. The law, as a covenant of work, says, do this and you will live. Do this and you will obtain eternal life. 
Grace says repent and believe. Amen. Very different mean, means to obtain the same goal. So the righteousness that comes from the law is not of faith. It's, it's of works. And in Romans 10.5, um, Paul says, For Moses describes the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which does those, those things shall live by them. Then in Galatians, And the law is not of faith, but the man that does them shall live in them. Chapter 3, verse 12. So as a covenant of works, the law does not give freely. It doesn't give you anything for free. It demands perfect obedience. Perfect obedience. Your obedience has to be perfect. In Leviticus it says, uh, 18.5, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. The law doesn't give you any mercy. The law doesn't give you any grace. It tells you obey, and your obedience has to be perfect. Everything has to be obeyed, of course, because it is the moral law is what is a reflection of God's holy character, Amen. and God does not allow sin. Amen. So the law presented like that as a covenant of works in the old covenant doesn't have, doesn't offer any mercy. It offers a reward for obedience, but punishes the uh, smallest disobedience. In Galatians 3, verse 10, it says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. You see how, what he says? As many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, Everybody who is trying to obtain justification by works is under the curse. Why? Because nobody can obey it. Everybody. He doesn't say, you know, 90%, 99% of them are under the curse. No, 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 100%. Nobody can obey the law. Doesn't offer any mercy. So it is very important to make this distinction regarding the rightful use of of the, the law for the Christian and the law as a covenant of works, the law to using the law to save yourself, to obtain justification by your obedience. Regarding that, uh, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3, verses 3 to 4 says, For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the whole law. Christ is become of no effect to you. Whoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. See, they are in radical contradiction to each other. The moment you are trying to justify yourself, you have fallen from grace. You cannot be in both at the same time. So if you are using the law... As a covenant of works, trying to obtain justification, trying to obtain eternal life by your own obedience, you have fallen from grace. You are not in the gospel anymore. And then there are some Christians, sadly, who fail to make this distinction between the law as a, uh, as a covenant of works and the other uses of the law that are rightful, that are good in the gospel. And they conclude that the only thing that exists between the law and the gospel is enmity. In every aspect. 
And they say, uh, uh, well, the only commandment that we have as Christians is to, is to believe and to love. And then nothing else. And that's the reason why uh, the book, The Gospel According to Jesus, that John MacArthur wrote uh, many years ago, is rejected by so many believers because they say, well, John MacArthur here, he's teaching salvation by works. Why? Because John MacArthur wrote saying, uh, the Lord Jesus taught that, yes, believe, but you have to obey because, you know, there is no such thing as receiving Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, but not as your Lord. If you receive Jesus, if you believe Jesus, He's your Lord. Mm -hmm. And if He's your Lord, you have to do what He says. Mm -hmm. Right? It was Jesus who said that. He said, why do you call me Lord and then you don't do what I say? Amen. It's a contradiction. Mm -hmm. Right? But many Christians say, oh no, that's, that's legalistic. You cannot tell uh, anyone that he has to repent, that, he has to, that he, his life has to change. That No, no, no. You cannot, you can, if you see a person who, who, who goes to a church and raises his hand and, and, and comes to the, the altar call and, and makes a prayer of repentance and then goes back to his old life and continues in the same sense that he has been his whole life, you cannot tell that person that he was not saved. A lot of people say that. <clears throat> because they have this confusion about well, the law, they don't understand that the law has rightful good uses for the life of the Christian. But there are passages where, you know, the term law is used, but it is in reference to the law as a covenant of works. Even in those passages where law and gospel are in opposition, you usually find there the right uses of the law or the right use of the law, even in those passages where you, you find this opposition. For example, in Romans 3.28, it says there, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Right? You see there this opposition between the gospel and the law. But if you go only... Three verses later, verse 31, it says there, Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid we establish the law. Amen. You see? <clears throat> right there. So regarding the right uses of the law, then the law as a rule of conduct, the law as a mirror that reveals your transgressions, that reveals your sinfulness, the law as a restrainer of evil. Regarding those uses, the authors of the confession and the Bible say they, are, they sweetly comply with grace. They are in harmony with each other. Amen. There is a fundamental harmony between the law and the gospel as a means <coughs> uh, excuse me there, there is a fundamental harmony between the law and the gospel but as a means to obtain eternal life they are the opposite poles of the magnet they reject each other but when it comes to the right use of the law there is no opposition whatsoever they complement each other they complement each other. Grace gives you what the law commands. The gospel does not abolishes, does not abolish the law, but it establishes it and confirms it. 
And the main way in which the gospel confirms the law is through the manifestations of God's righteousness in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen. In Romans 3, 21 to 26, we read, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, to all and on all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus. The gospel, gospel doesn't say forget the law. The gospel says, I am going to give you what the law demands in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. I am going to give you his perfect righteousness. I am going to put it in your, your account. And now you are going to be seen as righteous. The gospel never says, forget about the law. The law is not important. No, the law is important. God's righteousness is important. Therefore, I'm going to give you Jesus' righteousness and put it in your account. Then a second way in which the gospel confirms the law is the obedience that the Holy Spirit produces in the life of a Christian. And that's the second part of the paragraph mm -hmm. that says the spirit of Christ subduing and enabling the will of man to do that freely and cheerfully which the will of God revealed in the law requires to be done. That's uh, in chapter 19 paragraph 7. <clears throat> then in Romans chapter 8 verses 2 to 4 it says for the law of the spirit of Christ of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The Spirit of God is there. It's in each and every one of us. Teaching us to obey God. This is one of the promises and one of the characteristics of the new covenant. The new covenant. In the old covenant, as we saw last week, the law was, or the law is called a ministration of death. Because it told you what to do, but it, it did not provide the means to do it. In the old covenant. It simply said, the law simply said, God requires perfect obedience to his commandments, obey them, and you will live. That's all it did. But in the new covenant, the new covenant tells you what you have to do, but it provides the means to do it. it provides the means to do it. Jeremiah 31 verses 33 to 34. This shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, said the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts, and I, I will write it in their hearts. And they, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, said the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. The new covenant promises to write the law of God in your hearts. It tells you, it continues. God's moral law continues in the, in the new covenant. It is in your heart. And it's telling you this is right, this is wrong, etc. But now in Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 25 to 27 it says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And you shall keep my judgments and do them. That's the promise of the new covenant. I will give you a new heart. I will put my spirit within you. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes. So having the law of God written in your heart by regeneration produces conformity to the righteousness demanded or commanded by the law. Then of course we know that this conformity is imperfect. There's always going to be the uh, struggle against the flesh, the battle against the flesh, the old man and the new man are going to continue fighting each other until we die. But regeneration creates a new man and enable, enables Christians to obey, not to obtain salvation. We are never going to obtain salvation by obedience, but we obey what? Out of gratitude. Because we are thankful. Because we are thankful for what God has done for us. And in Titus chapter 2 verses 11 to 12 it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Mm -hmm. See, it is the same grace. The same grace, the grace of God that brings salvation, that grace doesn't come and saves you and then leaves or, or says, well, you know, now you're saved, now go back home and, you know, you don't have to worry about uh, the law of God and this. No, that's not what grace does. Grace, according to this, this verse, this passage, this biblical passage, comes bring salvation and then stays there and teaching us to, to deny ungodliness, to deny worldly lusts, to, to live soberly, righteously and, and godly in this present world. And how can we do that? How can we live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world? What, what rule of conduct we have? Well, the only rule of conduct that we have is the law that was written in our hearts. Mm -hmm. And now the Holy Spirit is there. When grace comes, when salvation comes, the Holy Spirit, a new heart, a new man. What is it doing? Is it sleeping? No, it's there actively. It says here, teaching us all these things. And if you are not doing all these things, it's because you are not listening to the teachings of grace. 
uh, the grace that brings salvation doesn't say, you know what, the law does legalism, do not all the way. No, 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 no. That's not what it does. It teaches us to live according to God's standards mm -hmm. of life, according to, to what we say that we are. We say that we are new creatures. Well, behave like a new creature. We say that we are in the light. Well, the Apostle John says, if you say that you are in the light, walk in light. Don't walk in the darkness. Don't live your life as a contradiction of what you say that you are. That's a contradiction. If you say that you are in light, if you say that you are a new creature, to behave like, a, like the old creature, to behave or to walk in darkness, that's a contradiction. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Well, the next week, no, not next week, the following week, we will continue in the uh, chapter 20. I believe it's about the gospel. Mm. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come before your holy presence and <coughs> we thank you, Lord, for all the things that we are learning from the Bible and from the, uh, the writings of uh, men of the past that we use as a guide, knowing that they weren't perfect, but you have uh, told us to, to rely on, on people who, <coughs> who are Christians and to learn from their example and to take what is good and to reject what is bad. So. We pray, Lord, that as we continue, that you be with us. We pray that you um, give us more understanding of your will. And we pray, Lord, that now that you help us to continue preparing our hearts for our worship service and for the Lord's Supper, we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.